If you've been going around the good old internet looking for the right podcast to fulfill your New York Yankees needs, well, I'll be the first to deliver the good news to you. You have found it. Here on Yapping Yankees with me, your host, Mike Scudero, you and I will be discussing the latest news, takes, and talk throughout the entire Yankee universe. Oh, and there may be some ranting on my behalf. Yeah. Anyway, what do you say we get to it? Let's get to yapping! Well, hello there, my fellow Yankee fans, and welcome to episode 131 of the Yapping Yankees podcast, where we yap about the Yanks and nothing but those Yanks, except for these days, which of course involve insufferable CBA discussion that we all wish we didn't have to talk about. As always, I am your host, Mike Scudero, here on March 6th, 2022. And speaking of said insufferable CBA discussions, as we all expected this week, guys, and such is the case still today, even more so with still no CBA agreement, as we are now on day 95 of the league-imposed lockout, the 2022 season, or at least the first week or so, give or take, so far, is officially delayed. Like I said last week, I think it's safe to say I, or we, most of us, saw this coming. Barring an absolute miracle, which just wasn't in the cards. Despite how fun it was for a bit there when talks seemed to be making significant progress into the middle of the night Monday going into Tuesday, when the two sides were still convening as late into the night as 2 or 3 a.m., And we were all going insane on Twitter as Bob Nightingale, of all people, the king of jinx, as I've liked to call him in the past, also showcased his Twitter resurgence by being our main source of news since then. Strange times. (laughs) But that excitement was very short-lived. Because the announcement was made the next day that the first week, at least, of the 2022 season is delayed. And that's where we now stand, with spring training as well at this point, delayed until at least the 18th. March 18th. Which I also expect to continue to be pushed back, of course, the longer we go on without a CBA deal. And upon such an announcement of something marking a truly sad and negatively historical day for the sport in which this self-imposed league lockout is now resulting in the loss of actual regular season games. Rob Manfred, Major League Baseball's commissioner, the same guy who claims to love and respect this game, yet with seemingly no problem referred to the World Series trophy as a hunk of metal, took to the podium to announce the delaying of the season. And the man before he spoke, smiled. Smiled all around, as if he were in a joking mood. He smiled! What is there to smile about? Where do you muster up the nerve to smile as the commissioner of any sport announcing the cancellation of games? Or is his ability to speak publicly just that freaking horrendous? How do you smile? Said that their failure wasn't for a lack of effort after the two sides didn't exchange a single word for the first six weeks of the lockout. And now, since this press conference with this dope, they've returned to a bit of a slowed pace. They haven't even exchanged a proposal since Tuesday! It's been five days! Wasn't for a lack of effort. (laughs) What do you take us for? Complete morons? A bunch of zombies walking around with an IQ under 40? I mean, there are people like that, but not all of us. The League and Manfred saying missing games would be catastrophic be a catastrophic outcome, whatever the hell he said. Then you don't say a word for six weeks. You only meet once every week and a half or so after that, after you finally have your first meeting. 
Then you say you'd be willing to miss as much as a month. Your last-minute everyday meetings last week amount to nothing. And here we are. It's all now a reality. And today, by the way, is only the first meeting with proposals being made again since freaking Tuesday. Five days to get back to the table for another proposal after announcing an official delay of the season. So they returned to a slowed pace after meeting every single day last week. Make sense of it. Best of luck trying. So the season is delayed. Thus, official self-imposed damage. I want to keep highlighting that. Self-imposed. Because that is what all of this is. Do not forget who initiated this lockout. So self-imposed damage. And this also self-imposed lockout done in the first place so that focus can expressly be put on agreeing to a new CBA, especially with how much time there has been that was not utilized at all, has completely and utterly failed. The lockout was pointless. And no matter what they say, Manfred and his bosses, the owners, they don't give a crap about any of it. They see nothing but their bottom line, which probably would barely be affected if they only miss maybe a month or so. Which is why they said what they said about being more or less okay with missing a month. Of all the months of the season they could afford to miss, April is the most missable, for lack of a better term. Don't be fooled. It's the month with least attendance. So as long as they get what they want in the long run, money, and they'd be willing to sacrifice even some major league time if it meant getting what they want and still making profit that they want. It's all about the money. I've said it ad nauseum. Stop thinking these people care about you. All they care about is growing their profit. I'm sick of hearing owners apologists. They don't care about you. They don't care about me. They don't care about anyone outside themselves. All they care about is growing their money. They're already billions of dollars. Even if it means delaying the season over not getting what they want. Missing even a regular season game is all the proof that you should need of this fact. It's not an opinion. It's fact. Artie Moreno, Moreno, however the hell you say it, owner of the Los Angeles Angels, was one of four owners, the other owners being those of the Diamondbacks, Reds, and Tigers, as far as we know at least. But Artie was one of the four owners who opposed a luxury tax increase, which we know the CBT or luxury tax, whatever you want to call it, is a key issue in these talks and is a key issue that is stalling the start of Major League Baseball this year. And there's about a 15 to $20 million difference between the two sides on this issue, the luxury tax. Artie Moreno, who is opposed to a luxury tax increase, is worth $3.6 billion. Billion. B, not M, B. A man worth almost $4 billion is contributing to this mess. If you are an owner's apologist, I don't even want to hear it. These people don't care. No matter how much of it they already have, they want what they want. And they always want more of it or they want to pinch, penny pinch as much of it as they can. Money. Where greed often stems from. It ruins almost everything. Money. Failure by greed. And for those saying the sport's been through this already in 94 with this strike and survived, missing games, even the playoffs and World Series, yeah, it may be true that it survived that, and that was a terrible time for the sport. No one's denying that. 
But not only did it still take years to recover from at that time, but in general, again, I'll say this as I have in the past, to try, try to get it through to people who try to compare this to 94-95. This is not the same as that. Again, this is a self-imposed league lockout, whereas that was a strike by the players. And they had factors back then, such as steroids, to boost interest too after all that nonsense. So it helped gain interest back in the sport. Again, even though it took years to recover, I understand that I've read up a lot about 94-95 long before this lockout even took place. I'm pretty knowledgeable about baseball history for someone who's so young at 25 years old. But they had factors back then, like steroids, like people are quick to mention, because it's true, that helped boost interest in the sport again. And this may bounce back this time as well, ultimately. I think it will. It's Major League Baseball. People are going to come back eventually, if they, even if they take a break from it for a while. It'll bounce back. I'm not saying it's dead forever. I put out a tweet earlier in the week that got an ungodly amount of interaction where I said, R.I.P. Major League Baseball, 1869 to 2022. Uh, it was a good run or something like that. And my God, the interaction that it got. I mean, most of it, the vast majority of it was positive. But I got a few clowns telling me I was being dramatic. They just really didn't get the tone of the tweet at all. Do you really think I'm brain damaged enough to think that baseball, Major League Baseball, is dead forever? No. It was a mainly sarcastic tweet exaggerated for effect by a person who was extra ticked off that day about what was happening to the sport that they love. Lighten the hell up. Even if it loses popularity from this, it's still going to keep going. It's Major League Baseball. What do you think? I'm running around with as low an IQ as someone who actually believes the owners care about the fans? You think I'm that lost? Well, take my word for it. Whether you believe it or not, I'm not that lost. I don't know in what way or how long it'll take for the sport to bounce back, if at all, but I'm pretty sure all of us know that Major League Baseball is not dead forever. Some people may lose interest, yeah, but regardless, it may bounce back ultimately. But no matter how you spin this lockout or how much you want to compare or contrast it to prior lockouts or the strike in 94-95, this is bad. Missing games at any capacity is bad, no matter how you spin it. I've seen all kinds of people try to put all sorts of spins on it the last few days. Oh, it's only a week. Uh, it wasn't as bad as 94. Are you kidding me? What are you, stupid? They missed... Games, they missed the playoffs, they missed the World Series almost 30 years ago in that strike. No matter how you spin it, when you lose a game that counts, even one game, it's bad. Because I had trouble believing throughout this whole thing, no matter how bad tensions were, I knew that it was going to get really bad. But a little part of me just held on to some hope, some sort of confidence that they just wouldn't let it get so bad to the point where they actually miss regular season games. But here we are. And now who suffers the most? I say it all the time. I want, I want to just beat the hell out of myself for saying this so many times like a broken freaking record. I, it's the fans. I always feel for the fans. And, and you know who else I feel for, actually? I feel for the vendors, the workers part-time and otherwise, who work in and around the stadiums, who rely on that for part of making their living. The businesses within the vicinity of stadiums who rely on the big crowds from the ballpark in order to get some business, make some money. I especially feel bad for them. They're going to be losing out on plenty. Us fans, yeah, we invest, but we're just losing out on our entertainment. These people are losing out on a living or part of their living. And yeah, the Major League Baseball Players Association is starting a $1 million fund to help out, even though for that many workers, ultimately, it may not do an unbelievable amount, to say the least, but at least they're doing something. It's a thoughtful gesture. Are the billionaires doing anything? Do the billionaires give a single crap about these people, though, as of now, at least? Nah, it's all good. Manfred, the commissioner of our sport, is smiling about all of it. It's funny. As of today, I'm going on official record saying that I am not giving any more detailed updates on this crap. All the key economic issues. All you'll hear out of me is when the sport is officially back. I'm exhausted by these details that we are forced to talk about, more or less forced to talk about, because the continuation of our sport hinges on it. The start of the season hinges on it, even spring training. 
but I'm just exhausted by the details. We know what they are. We've been through them. And we know how far apart the two sides are on a vast majority of them, even today. And now that games are officially canceled, even if it is just a week so far at least, I'm done talking about these details. We've heard them enough. It's on them ultimately to figure it out, which it has been this whole time, but especially the disgust level that I've reached at this point, the disgust level that we've all reached at this point, now that games are officially being missed. I'm just tired of it. I'm tired of it. I have other things I want to do and talk about on here that I think people would be much more interested in discussing anyway. I know people enjoy my rants, regardless of what they're about. But not only will I probably just generally go on them as more games continue to be cancelled week by week, probably. So that'll probably still generally happen anyway. But how many CBA rants have I done, guys? Like 30? I'm drained from them. I'm mentally and emotionally drained. MLB doesn't give a crap about anybody, so I don't give a crap about the details here anymore. That are for them and the PA to figure out. I'm sorry. I'm tired of it. Enough is enough. Luxury tax, pre-arbitration bonus pool, minimum salary, draft lottery, the list goes on. We know that with some of these things, the gap is bigger than what used to be the gap between judges' two front teeth. Just enough. Enough. I'm sorry about the roast, Aaron. I love you, man. I do a show. I'm trying to entertain people here. (sighs) Can you imagine, just hypothetical, if there was an alternate universe or timeline where baseball was run by people who could see anything more than dollar signs, I'm sure the people in that universe or timeline would be having a fantastic time right about now. And I'm very, very envious of them. I watch too much multiverse material. Thanks for that, Marvel. So that's that, guys. The season's delayed. Extremely sad and bad times. Horrendous times. For a great sport that so many of us love, but are unbelievably frustrated with these days. Thanks to what feels just like endless greed. Endless. Preventing any sort of progress from being made. And it's totally out of our control. Even Jeter left the Marlins as their CEO this past week. Yeah, he's not the CEO of the Marlins anymore. Because the organization all of a sudden wasn't willing to spend the money that they originally had said they were willing to when Jeter first came on. And Jeter, being the winner that he is, saw a difference in vision, would rather do whatever it takes to win, of course, because he's Derek freaking Jeter. The higher-ups above him clearly did not share that same vision, so he got the hell out! Even he's not willing to stick around in a position like that and see the direction some of these penny-pinching owners are taking their organizations. And quite frankly, the sport as a whole now. pieces of crap. I'm sorry to talk like that, but that's that's just the way that it is, guys. That's where we're at. How else are you going to spin this thing? That's all I got. That's all I got on this. From now on, I'm just going to tell you when the sport's back. Maybe I'll speak about an issue that's not economic. Like, I know they're talking on and on about the expanded playoffs, which... A lot of you know for a long time now that I just want nothing to do with, especially when it comes to the 14-team one. With the 12 one, I mean, whatever. It seems like either way we're getting expanded postseason, so you might as well get used to it. But I've shared my opinion on the 14-team one so many times. I'm just tired of talking about it. So unless it's an issue like that, I know there are other rule changes they're going through, like pitch clocks, banning the shift. Um enlarging the bases. Uh, there's a, just a bunch of crap they're talking about. Whatever. As, as those come available and as, as they officially agree on those things, I guess I'll provide updates on those. But on the key economic issues, you know, like the ones I mentioned before, I just don't have any use to talk about those anymore. I just don't. 
I have no use to listen to how billionaires are barely budging and still negotiating in bad faith on these things. I just don't have a use for it anymore. I don't. And I'm sure you don't either. I'm just sick and tired of this eating up so many minutes on my show every week to begin with. So here's what we do. Why don't we just stop talking about it for now? And we'll barely talk about it for weeks going on. Just, you know, aside from mentioning what day of the lockout it still is and the fact that there's still no baseball. I'll update you when it does come back, obviously. And maybe we'll talk about the other issues too, like the actual rule changes on the field stuff. But anything with money, guys, I'm done. I'm done. I'll let you know when they agree on it, but that's it. All right, let's move on now that we're basically freaking 20 minutes into the show already. My God in heaven. So yeah, other than that, I guess the only other update on this is the two sides are meeting again today. Like I said, for the first time since Tuesday, they're meeting at the time I'm recording now. So I I doubt that by the time that they're done, I'll still be recording. So by the time it's done, you guys will see it on social media long before this episode comes out, like I probably will. And and that'll be that. There's not going to be a deal today. We know that there won't be. Just like Jeff Passan loves to say, there is no deal today. There was never going to be a deal today. And they'll probably wait a few more days. You know, what's the rush? It's only March 6th. Alright, so for the rest of the show today, I mean, there's really no other, there's no Yankees news still, other than the fact that they hired Hensley Mullins as their, one of their new assistant hitting coaches. And that's kind of interesting, considering I'm pretty sure he was in the managerial run for when Aaron Boone was hired, and that class of people they were interviewing for the job. Going into 2018... Aaron and Hensley were two candidates, and obviously Aaron Boone ended up getting the job. So that's pretty funny, now that Hensley's going to be a part of Boone's coaching staff after they both ran for the managerial job. But yeah, Hensley's a new assistant hitting coach, and it'll be very interesting to see what he brings to the table as a guy who's played baseball all around the world. Pretty sure he speaks like five languages. He was a part of that Giants team that won three titles in five years, so he's, he's got a respectable baseball resume. And he's been really respected around the baseball community for a very long time. And you might remember, although his Major League Baseball numbers strictly in his Major League Baseball playing career never really amounted to much, he did spend five years as a Yankee as well. Obviously, can't be much of anything useful when it comes to regular season games with the lockout still going on, but hey, he's an assistant hitting coach now. And like all other coaches and staff throughout baseball, he'll be put to use once baseball's officially back. So there you go. But other than that, of course, nothing going on in the Yankees' world. So, as per usual, we'll just go right to the social media segment as per prior episodes as well. And guess what? This week I figured I'd do something with you that I haven't done in months. I think the last time I did it was in that final episode where I was feeling sick with COVID and then I just took my hiatus after that because my life was just hell. <laughs> but yeah, I'm pretty sure this is the last time I did this, but we're doing a Q&A today. Pretty sure I haven't done that in the better part of three months. So... I figured, you know, with the CBA crap just continuing and still nothing really happening in the Yankees world, I could come up with a regular question or poll, of course, just any Yankees question. But then I figured, you know what? We haven't done a Q&A in forever. So why not? Ask me all of your Yankees and baseball-themed questions, and I'll try to get to as many as I can. So we'll do Twitter and Instagram as we do for every social media segment. I'll answer maybe about 10 on Twitter, and then I'll get to maybe on a three to five of them on Instagram. I'll answer about 15 of them total. That's a good amount of questions. think it's a good amount of time because I like to give really good, fleshed out, in-depth answers to as many of you as I can because, you know, I'm appreciative to you guys even submitting questions in the first place and giving a crap about me. So I like to give you each your respective time. So, but before we get to any of that, just want to give you a quick reminder, of course, to follow me on all social medias if you don't already, my friends. Facebook fan page, Mike Scudero NY. On Twitter, you can find me at Mike Scudero. And on Instagram, Mike Scuds97. And please also remember, my friends, to subscribe. Subscribe to Yapping Yankees on all four platforms that it's available on. That's YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Leave a like below if you're listening on YouTube, and leave a review on all the others. Show your love like you usually do. You guys are great at that, so just keep on doing what you do. What can I tell you? But a Q&A this week. I'm really looking forward to seeing the questions that you guys submitted on both platforms. So let's start on Twitter first, as usual. 
like I said, I'll go through about maybe, I don't know, like 10 of them. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how we go with time. All right. First up with the Q&A, we have my friend Rob at Laker477. And Rob asks, what Yankees minor leaguer are you most looking forward to making the big club? It's got to be the only one that I'm not really looking to trade away right now under any circumstances. I'd be kind of a hypocrite if I said otherwise, but I'm I'm very excited for Anthony Volpe. Some people say Volpe, some people say Volpe. In Italian, the E is usually Volpe or Volpe, so I like to say it that way. But if it's Volpe, then Volpe. You know, I want to pronounce correctly. Unless, of course, it's Artie Moreno of the Angels. I don't really care if I mispronounce him, especially after finding out what we did about him this past week. But anyways, yeah, <laughs> Anthony Volpe. I am extremely excited about this kid. Even though he hasn't really seen gameplay above a ball yet, I just hear and see incredible things about him. The Yankees expect remarkable things out of him, and I'm just really excited to see him. Not saying he's a guarantee. I mean, hell, I've been on rants constantly through the years about how no prospect is a guarantee. I understand that, but I'm very excited about this kid. I love what I hear about his infield ability. I love what I hear about his hitting ability. I've seen film of him and the rest of the minor leaguers getting ready for minor league spring training. And you know what? Speaking of minor leagues, because of Major League Baseball's crap, I am really going to be focusing a lot on minor league baseball this year. Minor league baseball is getting a lot of my attention, so much so that I might actually take a trip and see a Renegades game. See Anthony Volpe play there. If he gets called up to double A, triple A, to the Rail Riders, I'll go and watch him there too. Or I'll just go in general. I'd love to go watch a minor league baseball game just in general, but but yeah, back to your question, Rob, it's got to be Anthony Volpe. I'd be a hypocrite if I said otherwise because I've expressed so much excitement about him. Next, we've got James at Rebirth Chaos 09, and James asks, will the Yankees try to trade Hicks, and what happens to Sanchez after this season? Try to trade Hicks? I don't know. At this point, I think they're just going to ride it out with him. Uh, you guys know I'm not thrilled about that. A lot of you guys know I'm not thrilled about that. I'm not a big Hicks guy after his defense even took a hit after his Tommy John surgery because, I mean, yeah, Hicks will have his offensive moments here and there, but I'm a firm believer in the fact that a main reason they got him was for his defense because, I mean, whether it be the catch in 2019, the amazing flying, diving catch to end that game in Minnesota with Chad Green on the mound that we all remember so well, whether it be that to represent his defensive ability or his cannon of an arm in the past. I mean, Hicks was great defensively, and then you just saw a lot of that dissipate after his Tommy John surgery. So I'm not even really a fan of that anymore, and I can't even really fall back on his defense for when his offense just is lousy. But I don't know. I think they're just going to... I think they're going to ride it out with him and hope that he can stay healthy, which is, of course, his biggest thing outside of his on-field ability. And I just don't have faith in him staying healthy, unlike I had faith in Aaron Judge, which was rewarded faith because in 2021, outside of missing a little bit of time with something out of his control being COVID, Aaron Judge was perfectly healthy. Didn't miss time due to injury. So, I don't know. I don't really have any reason to believe in Aaron Hicks the way I did Aaron Judge, but I think they're just going to ride it out with him. If they could trade him or get rid of him somehow and get a better center fielder, then fine. I'd love that. Even if they just shift over someone like Gallo to center field, if they stick with Gallo as well. I don't really see him going anywhere either. But yeah, I think they're going to ride it out with Hicks. Maybe they'll... If he has a crappy season or if he gets hurt again, maybe they try some of the trade deadline or something. I don't know. Maybe. But I think they're going to start the season at least with him. Because, I don't know, Cashman and so many of the other guys in the organization are just... They're big Hicks guys, and I just... I don't know. I don't see it. And what happens to Sanchez after the season? I think it's going to, it's kind of hard to tell because it, it depends with what happens with him to start this season and how long they're willing to ride it out with him. Because if he has a really good season, then I don't know. That makes it complicated because like Aaron Judge, he's hitting free agency next offseason. So I don't know. But if he has another lousy season or if he even gets hurt, like he has at some points in the past as well, then I imagine they finally run out of patience with him and just let him sign elsewhere by that point. Or maybe if he's so bad by the trade deadline, maybe they try to package him too. And who knows when all this is going to happen too because the season has been officially altered at this point and who knows when it's coming back. So a lot of it depends on that too. 
Like I've said a lot about a lot of things in the baseball world lately, there's just a lot of moving parts right now with all of this delayed start mess now too. Just adding on to the pile, the glorious pile of what a mess the sport is right now. But, yeah, I mean, it depends on what happens this season, dude. It depends. Because I think they're at least starting the season with Gary, like I've said. They're going to at least start and see where he's at, maybe give him a couple of months. I'm personally out of patience with Gary. I've been saying that for a while now. A lot of you know that. But I think the Yankees themselves are going to see how he at least starts the season and progresses through the season or even further regresses through the season. We have to see. But if he does badly, I think it's I think it's a guarantee he's gone, whether it be via trade at the deadline or even at some point throughout the season maybe. Who knows? Or it being just them letting him go next offseason when he could just Find a contract of his own in free agency. Next we have... Let's see. At Andrew Caruso 77. And Andrew asked me, With Paul O'Neill's number 21 being retired this summer, who will be the next Yankee to be inducted into Monument Park? Who's next to join that wall of retired numbers or receive a plaque? Who's next to receive just a plaque but not get their number retired? I'd like to see CeCe get number 52 retired next. As for who I'd like to see get a plaque, but not get the number retired, maybe Mike Messina or Hideki Matsui. Yeah, I mean, I guess short of retiring his number, any sort of honoring when it comes to Hideki Matsui, I think he'd be a great name for any sort of honoring, really. Between his awesome contributions to the organization for over a half a decade, being a huge part of winning the World Series in 2009, and being just a humongous fan favorite. But I don't know, man, that's a good question upon thinking about it. I... A lot of people are going to hate this, but I, I don't think I want CeCe's number retired. I, I just, you know, he spent 11 years out of his 19-year career in New York, and a lot could argue that he really was a Yankee at heart, and he had some iconic moments here, especially the that's for you, bitch line. <laughs> there's that, and also he was a big player in winning in 2009, of course, so there's that. He's a major player behind the title, which always helps people's cases, I know that. But I, I don't know. He came here in 2009. He had kick-ass seasons from 2009 to 2012. And, and and listen, I know a lot was going on in his personal life with his alcoholism, and they went to rehab, which took a lot of courage to do. I'm not taking any of that away from CeCe as a person. But strictly from career, we had this discussion last week when it came to people I'd even unretired, just going strictly with career numbers. But... You look at 2013, 14, 15, 16, 17 and 18, he really did bounce back nicely. That that was really nice to see. I, I was very happy for CC then. But then in 2019, he sort of fell off again because that was his last season. He was really at the end of his rope, and he had an ERA of around five again. But of those years with the Yankees, a chunk of them was he didn't do well either. So, I, I don't know. I just I just don't think CeCe's numbers should be retired. I, I'd be all for honoring him in another way, like a plaque or some sort of honoring with the Yankees. I just... Retiring a number is a big deal, guys. Because <laughs> that number can never be worn ever again. That's like... It's probably like the highest honor. So, I don't... I just don't think CeCe's numbers should be retired. I just don't. A lot of people might call me a hypocrite for saying, oh, but Paul O'Neill spent nine years of his 17-year career here, and, you know, he, but he was a massive player. Like I said, I gave my reasonings last week. Go back and listen to last week's episode. I don't want to repeat too much of what I already said. But he was a major player in winning four titles here and going to even a fifth World Series in 01, and he had terrific seasons here constantly. So many iconic moments, even more so than I already mentioned, and defensively and offensively combined, I must have mentioned 10, like 10 moments last week with Paul O'Neill. And CeCe has his, yeah, but it also doesn't help that of the 11 years he was here, I don't know, maybe five or six of them, they, they were not good. They were not good. So... I don't know. I, I just don't think CeCe's number should be retired, man. I, I, I don't mean to go off on a tangent like that with just a little part of your question. But, yeah, maybe he gets honored in another way. Look, I love CeCe. I love him. Love the guy. And I also love the Under the Grapefruit Tree, I think it's called, the documentary they did about him. It was wonderfully done. I love the guy. But just getting his number retired, I don't know. 
Not about it. But honor him in another way. I have no problem with that at all. Honor him in any other way you want. And, yeah, but as far as anybody else to get honored, yeah, Messina and Hideki Matsui especially. I'm, I'm a little biased with that one, though. As, as good as I am with remaining unbiased on basically everything, you're going to get some bias with Matsui because Matsui means a lot to me, as I've told you a lot in the past with 2009. The guy was one of my heroes. So I'd be all for that. Yeah, maybe those names. I've heard some other people mention Greg Nettles. Heard some people mention Bobby Mercer. And despite how awesome their names are, especially Greg Nettles in their time with the Yankees, and Greg Nettles did have his terrific contributions, an amazing third baseman, but I'm not really sure if I'd agree with those in the grand scheme of things, but those are some names mentioned. But I don't know, Mike Messina and Hideki Matsui would have been a couple of names I might have mentioned, and then you got another couple of names from some people maybe like Nettles and Mercer. I don't know. And to be honest with you, after talking about this sort of a subject last week, I'm kind of tired of talking about it. <laughs> All right, up next, we've got at Michigan Yankees, and they say, if Hal goes over the CBT, assuming a new CBT is in the $230 million range, how much is he willing to go over? Well, it's a question for him, really. If you're going to go over, then you might as well just go nuts. I mean, why not? (laughs) The goal at that point, you know, just put a freaking winner on the field. So how much is he willing to? I don't know, probably not much over. How much should he? I mean, if you're going to cross, then go nuts. Go nuts, man. (laughs) All right, next we've got Jackie at Jackie Edis. And Jackie asks, can you give a prediction of what Judge's new contract will look like? See, this this question's tough because it depends on what happens in 2022. In a complicated enough 2022 season, that's already delayed officially. And Major League Baseball announced that whatever games are missed will not be made up because they just suck. So, yeah, I mean, it entirely depends on this season, Jackie. It's it's a tough question to answer. If he has a worse season, I think he still makes some pretty decent money. I mean, I don't think he'll get nearly as many years, maybe like a four-year deal. I don't know. And it may be worth 20, 25 million. I don't know. I, I could be totally wrong. I'm not good with this sort of a thing. And then if he has a really good season, then I could see someone pushing for 5, 6. I don't really see anyone going for 10 because Judge is going to be 30. And I'm just, personally, maybe I'm just having a tough time looking past it personally because when someone's in their 30s, I hate the thought of a 10-year deal. I hate the thought of a 10-year deal mainly no matter how old someone is. But it makes sense to give someone a 10-year deal more so when they're 22 or 23 than when they're 30 already. And the same applies for like an 8 or a 9-year deal too. So, I'll say that much. But maybe if he has a really good season, then I think it's easy to say that he gets paid anywhere between 30 and 40 a year, probably. Maybe push it to 5-6 years. Or maybe because it's 5-6 years, if he does want a lengthier contract with more years, then maybe a jack up the amount per year. So, it could be anything, really. And a lot of it hinges on how he does in 2022. If he stays healthy, if he puts up great numbers, which if he does stay healthy, he's going to put up great numbers. It's just a matter of staying healthy. So if he stays healthy, that's going to be a big thing. So it's tough to predict, Jackie. I think I'm more on the money with what would happen if he were to have a good season. But if he were to have a season on the not-so-good side, if he's to get hurt and miss a chunk of it, on top of what's already being missed of the season, thanks to the league. But anyways, if he misses a chunk of the season due to injury, then he'd probably have to ask for a bit lower. He'd probably be forced to, because then at that point, other teams would just, including the Yankees, would just really doubt his ability to stay healthy. And they would question, I mean, how much are we willing to spend on this guy in that case? Maybe 2021 was just another fluke since he was also completely healthy in 2017, because in all these years, those are the only two seasons he was healthy. So it depends what kind of a chance people want to take on him based on the 2022 season that he has. It really depends. Next, we've got at Laura underscore Navens, and Laura asks, once this whole CBA thing is resolved, what do you think the Yankees' first move will be? That was actually an exact social media question from a few weeks ago. (laughs) That's funny. Um, well, I've said, I gave my opinion then, so I won't repeat too much, but I would definitely like for it to be for a first baseman, but it depends on what they value the most, which I think Brian Cashman really indicated that it was shortstop as it should be, but first base is nearly, if not completely equally as important 
as shortstop in this case for the Yankees, just in general, but also for their need for that, because if not for Luke Voigt, which I, I really find it hard to imagine that he's back, and even if he is as anything more than just a DH, at least that's the way it should be, but if it's not him, then they don't have a first baseman literally at all. So they need a first baseman equally as much as they need a shortstop. It's going to be either of those two. That's what it's going to be. And it depends on which direction they have to go in. If they talk to the A's again, I mean, you have to imagine all these teams, they've brainstormed these last few months that they haven't been able to make a single move. They've brainstormed about which moves they're going to make right when this thing ends. And like I've said, when this thing does end, there's going to be a free agency frenzy and there's going to be a trading frenzy. Unlike much of anything we've ever seen, even even more intense than what we saw leading up to the lockout when all those moves were happening so fast we couldn't even keep up. But there's going to be such a frenzy of things going on, hopefully with the Yankees as well, and good things. I'd love for them... I've said this a million times. I don't think they're going to spend the money on him, but I do. Th- I would love if they get Correa strictly for on-field skill. I know how people feel about Correa personally. I, I know, but I've said it for months, skill-wise. I know he has his health issues. I'm I'm not neglecting to mention that. I've, I've mentioned it plenty of times, but I'd love for them to get Correa or Story, preferably Correa. I'm fine with either one, though. And if they do get either of those guys and they have to open the bank on them a bit, then it's hard to imagine they open up the checkbook with whatever they want with Freddie Freeman for first base. So then you either look into bringing Rizzo back or you look into trading for Matt Olson. Or if you go for first base first and you're able to trade for Matt Olson, then you could spend a bit more on shortstop maybe. Or you could just totally cheap out and not really care much to do it and just get the options that would not be the best for you. Like maybe you get an Andrelton Simmons or an Isaiah Kiner-Falefa as a stopgap in waiting for Volpe or Peraza, even if Peraza is closer, I'd rather just go with him, to be honest with you, But <laughs> than, than to get a Simmons or a Kiner Falefa. But, I mean, I really love Story and Correa. I've made that very clear by now. But it depends which one they go with first and what happens with that first one. If they have to spend a lot on Freeman because they have expressed interest in him, even though it's hard for me to imagine him leaving the Braves despite rumors saying that he's not happy with that organization. But it depends what they go with first, and it's going to either be shortstop or first base. Do not get me wrong. Regardless of which one it is, it's going to be one of those two. For the hell of it being specific, I'll just go out there and say first base right now. Because the Freddie Freeman rumors, whether or not they turn out to be true, have been very strong. And I would love them to be able to trade for Matt Olson if they do. Olson's really the one I want. He really is. I've voiced that plenty of times. But if shortstop's first, then I wouldn't be surprised in the least either because that's equally as important, if not more, in the eyes of the Yankees and everybody else because Cashman himself spoke about how important it is to them that they get a shortstop. At Yankee Ken asks, Does DJ LeMayhew return to batting champion form? It's a good question. I think a lot of it depends on how he bounces back from the sports hernia surgery that he got at the beginning of the offseason because he did get that surgery, don't forget, and a lot of people did attribute that, possibly, to him having the down year that he did in 2021. So if that was, in fact, a major part of him having a down sort of year, then if the surgery was successful and he's feeling great, then I don't see why he doesn't. But it's entirely possible that we see some similar qualities to 2021, which would suck because we know that when he's really on the money, how important of a role DJ LeMayhew plays on this team. He's really a major catalyst in that lineup, and he's a gold glove defender. So I hope he returns to true batting champion form. That'd be that'd be amazing. <laughs> 2019 and 2020, even though it was shortened, were remarkable years for DJ. Some people can argue, too, that 2021 mirrored a lot of his previous seasons when he put up just, uh, when his numbers were eh. (laughs) So, people could argue that, too, or you could argue that the sports hernia did him in a bit and contributed in him having a down year. So, we'll see, but if the surgery was successful, I can't imagine it not at least helping him a little bit. So, hopefully, we see a bit of a resurgence, at least, even if it's not quite to batting champion form. We'll have to see. But I think it's possible that he could. At Laura underscore Iceman says, which minor league players are you going to pay attention to the most when their season starts next month? Definitely Volpe. Definitely. 
And I'm going to be watching Peraza a lot too because of all of these guys, especially in comparison or contrast to Volpe as well as far as who's going to be ready first. Peraza is definitely closer. So especially if the Yankees go a route, and of course it depends when the Major League Baseball season starts as well, but if the Yankees plan on going down the stopgap route, then of course at that point watching Volpe and Peraza becomes the utmost importance. Even though Peraza, I, I assume, would be ready before too long. I would say maybe like the middle part of the season, hopefully. I don't know. But it, it's tough to tell exactly when the Yankees would be willing to pull the trigger on him. He's definitely closer than Volpe. So, but I would be watching both of them because they would both become very important at that point. And I would also be watching Dominguez too simply because of the hype surrounding him as well. I don't know if the hype's going to cash in. I don't know. Nobody knows until the prospect actually comes up to the major leagues and tries to prove his worth. But definitely Volpe and or Peraza. Volpe more so, even though he's further off, because I'm just so excited to see him. But like I said, Laura, like I said before, the minor leagues are going to be getting a great deal of my attention. They're going to be getting a lot of my attention. I I appreciate them starting on time. Of course, they don't have to do it the Major League Baseball season, so they're totally unaffected. So they'll be getting a lot of my attention. Even when Major League Baseball does start up, you know, I'm going to be extremely appreciative in the long run of Minor League Baseball for just handling their business and doing right by fans. They're also very fan-friendly at their games and all that, which is why I do want to go to a game as well. But, yeah, they're going to be getting a lot of my attention, as will Volpe, Peraza, Dominguez, all of them. All of them. I'll be watching them even more closely than I already do watch the minor leagues. And generally, there are people, plenty of people out there who do follow the minor leagues more closely than I do. But I, I still watch them generally, and I look for reports, and I, I know where they're at. But I'm, I intend to watch them even more closely this year. I really, really do. Rebecca at Peace Now for Life is next, and Rebecca asks, Name one Yankees game from history that you wish you could go back to and see live and in person. Oh, boy. One Yankee game from history. That's a tough one. There's so many of them. Oh, my God. Maybe Babe Ruth calling his shot. There's Don Larson's World Series perfect game. Even though it's not really an in-game moment, I would do anything to go back and be there live for Lou Gehrig's retirement speech. Oh, my God. There's so many of them. So many. Any game, really, where Mickey Mantle hits a home run. (laughs) I'd love to be able to see a shot of his. Live and in person, that'd be remarkable. You got Chambliss's iconic home run, Chris Chambliss. Reggie Jackson's three home run game. The final game of the 96 World Series against the Braves. The Yankees winning the World Series for the first time since 78 at that point. I'm just running down the list here. (laughs) Just so many of them. This is just off the top of my head, so there's probably even plenty more iconic moments that are just slipping past me right now. Given the time to think, I could probably come up with a bunch more, and so can you guys listening to this episode right now and thinking of this question on your own. But, yeah, very very thought-provoking question. You're definitely right. Wow. That's a good question. Plenty of iconic moments, though. At bottom line, WMCX asks, Should Rob Manfraud step down? Yes, he should. Next we have... <laughs> Next, we have Spencer at Musician DMD, and Spencer asks, On a recent Pinstripe Chronicles podcast, Bobby Tats, love Bobby, and shout out to Pinstripe Chronicles podcast as well. Check them out if you haven't already. They're really good. Bobby shared that every opening day he takes the day off and watches as many opening day games as possible. My ritual is I retrieve a brand new Yankees on-field fitted cap without the new era flag from my stash, which I'll wear for each regular season game as I watch or listen to them. What rituals, if any, do you have in anticipation and celebration of opening day when it normally happens, of course? Yeah, gotta include that part because of what 2022 is like so far. (laughs) I guess the real main ritual I have is being insufferably annoying to all those around me, baseball fans or not, about the fact that baseball's starting up again. <laughs> That's got to be the main one. But no, I usually 
I usually always, regardless of whether I'm going to work or not, whatever I have to do on opening day, even if it's going to work, I'll wear a Yankees jersey to work. I'll just, the full-on pinstriped, legit Yankees jersey, just the number on the back, the whole deal. I'm not even getting to the, you know, the real and fake Yankees jerseys. Does it have the name on the back? Does it not? I am totally uninterested in that debate. Mine usually don't. I don't know for what reason why that I do have them, but a couple of them do. The vast majority of them don't have names on the back, but regardless, I will wear... Usually I pick my Mariano jersey or my Jeter jersey, neither of which have the name on the back. But I'll usually wear one of those two because those are my two go-tos usually. I'm pretty sure I have a a Matsui jersey too. I don't even remember because it's been so many months that I've worn a a jersey. (laughs) It's been so long without baseball now, without any baseball, even spring training. But... Yeah, I'll usually just wear a jersey. That's usually it. And I'll wear it all day long. And when I'm done with what I'm doing, if opening day isn't spent at home, you know, I'll just usually watch as many games as possible like Bobby does. But, yeah, that's usually what I do. Just wear a just wear a jersey obnoxiously and just be insufferably annoying to everybody around me about baseball being back and the regular season officially starting. That's usually my go-to ritual. All right, let's finish off with... One more. Let's do one more here on Twitter, because I think I've even gone over 10. Even though I never get to all of you, because there are just simply too many of you every week, which I am beyond thankful for, as you guys know. Even though I never get to any of you, though, because of that reason, there are just too many of you. You can't say that I don't try. (laughs) At Coach underscore Will 64, the final one here on Twitter for the Q&A, he asks... Wouldn't the Yankees be better off being sold to someone who actually cares about winning, or does Hal keep the team and be content with just being a wild card team? Yeah, I don't know. The Yankees seem to be awfully content with the last few years just making the playoffs, despite being in a solid championship window. I don't know. Championship window or not, they seem to be pretty content with just making the playoffs. I don't want to say Hal completely doesn't care or that he doesn't give Cashman the go-ahead to spend a ton of money because every now and again he does. I mean, I've, I've acknowledged that. I'm not a Hal fan. A lot of you know that because I've said that so many times. <laughs> I'm tired of saying that too. Just so many things I just repeat so much. But, ugh, just readjusting myself here. <laughs> but, but yeah, Hal, he gives the go-ahead to spend big sometimes. I don't want to pretend like he doesn't. We've seen him allow Cashman to open up the checkbook really big for certain guys like Garrett Cole, and then whether it be wrong too with guys like Jacoby Ellsbury, for instance, just disastrous deals like that. And the Yankees do miscalculate on plenty, but he does open the book sometimes. But yeah, they seem to be awfully content with just, yeah, they made the playoffs, you know? We failed at the ultimate goal, of course, which is really all that counts. Some people may call us Yankee fans who believe that's spoiled. I mean... Say whatever you want to say. I've been a Yankee fan for the better part of 15 years now, and I've seen one title, so I don't know how spoiled I am. I'm spoiled with a lot of winning seasons, yeah, I'll admit that. But, I mean, from the perspective of winning titles, not too much. Not as much as many Yankee fans from past generations are. I mean, as far as championships, there are plenty of past-generation Yankee fans much more spoiled than I. But, yeah, they seem happy with just, yeah, we made the playoffs. That's it. Failed at the ultimate goal, but we're not really too upset about that because we made the playoffs. I mean, whether you agree with that or not, I mean, that really has been the mentality that we've seen from the Yankees, really, in the past few years when they've come up short. So, but Hal is not better off being sold? I mean, maybe. I mean, being sold to someone like Jeter who loves winning, I mean, that'd be be great. I don't think anybody would be really opposed to that. Even though, unless he took out a loan worth billions of dollars, I don't think Jeter would be able to afford an organization like the Yankees who are worth in the six billions right now, I believe. But regardless, I don't think Hal's going anywhere. I don't think the Steinbrenners are going anywhere. I just don't. So that discussion's kind of moot as far as I'm concerned. But that's all for Twitter, guys. Spent a lot of time on that, but I did also go past 10, so you're welcome for that. But let's move on to Instagram. Let's keep going with this Q&A. We'll do a few over there, maybe like four or five, I don't know. And then we'll uh, we'll wrap up for the day. Alrighty, first up on Instagram for the Q&A is Official52011. And they ask, when do you think the season will start? I'm thinking around May 15th. I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't freaking know. I mean, 
Because the small part of me was holding on to some hope that they wouldn't let it get to this point of actually missing games. I mean, you heard me say it originally. I originally predicted, I think, that they would reach a deal by like the end of January. And then I pushed that off to mid to late February. And here we still are. There's no deal. And if this goes about another week or so without there being an agreement, I'm sure even more regular season games will be canceled beyond just the first week or so that's already been canceled. So, I don't know. It'd be awesome. I've heard other people saying this, and I definitely agree with it. It'd be ideal if maybe they only allow that first week or so to be canceled since there's nothing you could do about that now. So there's no point in going nuts about that at this point beyond how nuts we've already gone. But it'd be really ideal to maybe start on a great day like Jackie Robinson Day, April 15th. Hopefully that's possible. For such a thing to happen, though, you kind of need an agreement in the next two and a half weeks or so, I would say. Otherwise, Jackie Robinson Day is probably even screwed. So, it'd be awesome to start on a day like that, mid-April, April 15th. But if they don't, then yeah, I could see the season being pushed off to May. And then May 15th, I guess, would be a... A decent prediction by the, by then, I guess. Who the hell knows, though? I'll say just for the hell of it, because I'd love for it to start on that day. It'd be really, it'd be a really good day to start on, like a really historical day to begin the season on, and not too much damage is done. Even though a decent amount of it, because of how fed up everybody is, is already done from the cancellation so far. But it's starting on Jackie Robinson Day would be really nice. So I guess I'll say April fifteenth for now, for that sake, because I definitely agree with the people saying it'd be awesome. If it started on that day, and it'd be really crappy to miss that day. So I'll say April 15th, I guess. Jackie Robinson Day. Next up is Tina at MountainGal456. And Tina asks, Do you think we'll have any baseball this season? And if so, when do you think they'll finally come together on an agreement? Alright, so similar to the prior question. Yeah, I think we'll have baseball this season. When is an entirely different story. <laughs> I, I don't know. I guess I'll go with mid-April for now. Guess I'll stay with what could be considered to be the optimistic side at this point, despite what an emotional pulp we've been beaten to up to now. But, yeah, I guess so. If they could be back by Jackie Robinson Day, that'd be great. Otherwise, I guess at least May 1st. And at that point, you'd have to reach an agreement by some point for Jackie Robinson Day, I'd say within the next two weeks, two and a half weeks. And then for May 1st, I imagine an agreement would have to be reached within the first or second week, probably second week of April at the latest, I imagine, because the league has said that they want at least three, maybe four weeks for spring training, so three weeks at the most. Yeah, first or second week of April, a deal would have to be reached if you want to be back by May 1st. It's a mess. So, because of me pretty much sticking by Jackie Robinson Day, since it would be really crappy, to miss that day, and it'd be an awesome day to start on, though. I guess I'll say they come to an agreement. Today's March 6th. Maybe in two weeks. I'll say that. Maybe around, like, March 20th. Anywhere from the 15th to the 20th. I guess I'll say that. I don't know. Just a shot in the dark. There's no way to know anymore. There's just no way to know. Absolutely no way to know. All right, let's finish off the final two, as per usual. My girlfriend at Vic Salimo... She says, baseball holds a special place in your heart as it does for me. My question for you is, what are the most special moments with baseball that you've had growing up that you will always cherish? Oh, it's got to be the, the 2009 World Series Championship. Mariano retiring and seeing Jeter and Pettit come out to take him out. Jeter's final game at Yankee Stadium. Him retiring. Him officially being inducted into the Hall of Fame. Oh, just a bunch of things. All the moments with Hideki Matsui. So many things in my lifetime that I've witnessed the last 15 years. The Raul Labanya's moments. Also, countless moments with the 2017 team, with a team that really wasn't supposed to go anywhere after they didn't even make the playoffs in 2016. So many moments throughout that season. Especially if you go to the playoffs with the wild card game, them going down three to nothing right away, and then DD coming right out in the bottom of the first and hitting that iconic game tying three run homer. That was an amazing moment. And then just going as far as they did, even against a cheating Astros team, and <laughs> making it within a game of the World Series again in a season where they weren't supposed to do anything. 2018 in the wild card game, Judge's big home run. And then, of course, they came up short after that against Boston, which sucked. 
2019, I'd say just a lot of the times where, I mean, they had as many as 30-plus injuries, and that team still won 103 games with the next man up squad. Just so many moments in my 15, 14, 15 years as a Yankee fan so far to look back on. I mean, you can even go back to 2008, being able to see the last game in the last Yankee stadium. Just a lot of places where my memory is just bouncing right now. It Just endless moments. It's tough to really pinpoint one. But the most special moment, if I had to pick one out, like I've said so often in general, is probably the, the, the 09 World Series. Just watching them win the title that year was really... I was already a big Yankee fan by then, but that really set me off. <laughs> that was it. That was it. All right, let's finish off with my mom, Julia Gina Scudero. And my mom asks, Mike, do you think we'll ever get back to Yankee Stadium like in the good old days to watch a team we love with that fire under us? But before that, more importantly, eat four hot dogs outside the stadium upon entering. I remember the excitement we felt every time we went. It's amazing to me that billionaires are so cheap that they've put out the excitement throughout the whole sport so far. Do you feel that if we start the season, it'll affect the players negatively as well? Well, first of all, yeah, eventually we'll make it back to Yankee Stadium, Mom, of course, and we'll eat our awesome Sabret stand hot dogs before we go in. Yeah, me and my mom love doing that. They're just so freaking good. I'm a huge fan of hot dogs. <laughs> and the Sabret stands hot dogs outside of Yankee Stadium, or just in general, even if you like go to the city or something, they're so good. They are so freaking good. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, listen, going to baseball games, Yankee Stadium or otherwise, is just always a thrill. So much fun. And yeah, the league, they're, they're ruining everything. Everything going on right now is, is self-imposed by the league. Self-imposed. Takes two to tango, of course, with both sides. But obviously, who's the one that's pushing this? Who's, who started the lockout? You just go back to those questions. and all, everything, Every question you have somehow roots back to the league and the owners. Every question you have, it's inevitable. Like Thanos, it's inevitable. <laughs> so... And yet, listen, the players, by missing games, everybody's affected. Even player salaries, especially the more time you miss, the more their salaries will get affected too. Everybody gets affected by missing regular season games. Yeah, I go on and on about how fans get screwed the most, and that is 100% true. Not abandoning that fact. Not an opinion. Fact. But no side should want to see it. Even if the owners could afford to do it because April's the month with the least attendance what have you, they still lose profit by missing out on games. And the players, at some capacity, their salaries will be altered the more games that are missed, like they were altered when most of the season was missed in 2020, thanks to when COVID was brand new. And if they don't have enough time to get back into it, if pitchers aren't quite ready, then you could see a spike in injuries like we've seen, like we saw in 2020 with the shortened season, like we've seen in certain other seasons, even if spring training was played at full length, because, you know, injuries happen regardless, but could happen even more so if certain players, especially pitchers, aren't properly prepared. So yeah, financially and in other ways, yeah, they could definitely be affected negatively when baseball comes back. I say when, because eventually, it'll come back, eventually. The damage to the sport, that'll have to be seen. But it'll be back eventually, and it has a negative effect on everybody. Everybody. That's what I've been trying to say this whole time. But I guess that's the best answer I could give you, Mom. And that was, those were the best answers I could give all of you, even with the thought-provoking ones where my memory had to be activated at the last second, and my memory is not a strong suit of mine, as I've tried to stress to everybody throughout my whole life. <laughs> So, I hope I answered your questions to your liking as best as I could. I think I did. I hope you enjoyed the Q&A this week. It's been a while since we've done it, so I figured, why the hell not? Let's enjoy a good Q&A. And I had a good time doing it, despite there still being bad news with our glorious sport as far as when we're going to get it back. And who the hell knows when we're going to get it back. We'll just have to continue to sit here and be patient, because what the hell else are we going to do? But nevertheless, my friends, I could not be more appreciative to you, as always, for interacting with this week's social media segment, this week's Q&A. Really fun discussion. I really enjoyed the questions you guys submitted. And I couldn't be more thankful to all of you like I always am for just interacting with the show every week the way that you do. And if I didn't get to you, then don't worry. Just keep on trying. I'm going to get to you eventually because you hear it every week. There are too many of you, but I always do. 
my absolute best to include as many of you as I possibly can by reading your reply here on this show. And if it's a Q&A, then answer your reply as well. So thank you all for your interaction on the social media segment, as always. Thank you for your support of Yapping Yankees. And thank you for listening today, too, because that's also all for episode 131 of Yapping Yankees today, guys. It always zooms right by. I can never keep track of it. <laughs> but one more reminder, guys, to please follow me on social media. Facebook fan page, Mike Scudero NY. Twitter is at Mike Scudero. And Instagram is MikeScuds97. Please don't forget to also subscribe to Yapping Yankees on all four platforms it's available on. That's YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Again, leave a like below on YouTube if you're listening on there. Leave a review on all the others. Show your love. And if you have the time, listen to the past Yapping Yankees episodes that you might have missed. Episodes 34 up to episode 131 today are all available on YouTube. And every single Yapping Yankees episode, including today's, going back to episode 1, are available on Apple, Spotify, and SoundCloud, guys. Once again, thank you, 3000, for listening to me yap today, my friends. I am Mike Scudero, and I will talk to you next Sunday, March 13th, when I come at you with episode 132 of Yapping Yankees. And until then, hang in there, be patient, please stay safe, look out for your loved ones, you know the drill. And uh, there's no reason to have any confidence in it at this point, especially because we're already missing regular season games, but let's see if by next Sunday, the league can get their heads out of their rear ends. Who knows? We'll see. But until then, enjoy your week, my friends. And as usual, thanks so much for your time today. Take care. Take care.